0: In the second of his series about his book, Guns and Rubles, The Defence Industry in the Stalinist State, Professor of Economics at the University of Warwick, Mark Harrison, discusses how Stalin used secrecy in his regime. One of the things that we have in the uh, Russian state archives and the party archives is millions of secret documents, formally secret documents. So there are lots of secrets out there to be uh, discovered. Um, But one of the things that I became interested in was secrecy as a system. I first stumbled into this as follows. You work on military stuff and the defence industry, you expect it to be secret. But then you discover that people could use secrecy in different ways. And um, I remember discovering a a little anecdote about the the, the, uh, procurement of weapons. Every year Stalin gave the Defence Ministry a budget for millions of rubles to spend on weapons. And the defence ministry sent uh, soldiers around the defence industry uh, working out who could uh, supply the weapons that it required. Now, the defence industry was supposed to sell these weapons to the army at cost. So the first thing was to establish a price. And so the soldiers would go into the factories and say, "Okay, well, here's this weapon, we want to buy it, how much does it cost? And uh, as often as not, the first response they would get was, we can't tell you. It's a military secret, and uh, it sounds ridiculous. How could the army be kept from a military secret? Namely, how much the weapon they want to buy will cost. So there are two things. One is that the motivation is obvious. The the people in industry wanted to pad the cost of the weapons and extract as much cash as they could from the army for as little effort as possible. And that's why they didn't want to show uh, the soldiers their uh, cost accounts. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, it sounds ridiculous, and yet it worked. And we know it worked because we know that, as I say, I first came across this as an isolated anecdote. The next thing I found was, it was common. It was widespread, and it went on for years. It went on for decades, from the 30s right through to the 80s. On many, many occasions, you find the soldiers complaining that these guys in industry won't show us the cost accounts, they won't show us the mobilisation plans, uh, they won't show us this, that and the other because they say it's secret. Please tell them to stop doing it. And then a decree would come down from the central committee or the the government saying, you have to tell the soldiers what you're doing, you're not allowed to use this excuse of military secrecy. Okay? didn't work. Next year, same thing again. And I began to understand that this is a, a system of secrecy that served more than one purpose. So there was the obvious purpose, which is that the government wanted to not to show the West what it was doing in military affairs. But once that was established, everyone in this system could find ways of using secrecy as a cover for what they were really up to. And that kind of bring, brings you to the main problem in the Soviet bureaucracy. So this, is a, this was an economy run by bureaucracy. So it was run by people sitting in offices doing what other people in superior offices told them to do. And when you're sitting in a superior office, it doesn't take you long to realize that the main thing, you, main problem you have about the guys below you is you don't know what they're doing. You open the door and it looks like they're working, right? They have files on the desk. They're scribbling away or they're on the phone. But what are they really doing? Actually, it's not that different in a university. What does the Vice-Chancellor know know about what I'm doing when he, he sees me in my office? I look as if I'm doing research and writing a paper. What am I really doing? He doesn't know. My own head of department doesn't know. I'm the only person who knows. And that's a common problem in every bureaucracy, but it was a big, big problem in a system where everything was done by bureaucracy. And it was particularly a problem in a system that was dominated by secrecy, where everybody could say, I can't tell you what I'm doing, is a secret. So how different was secrecy in the Soviet Union from other regimes? Well, it, it's true. I mean, I mean, if you look at Britain or France or Germany, every government system has its secrets. But I, th- I think when we look at the Soviet Union, we're looking at really the most secretive state ever, I think. Certainly it was far more secret or secretive than the Russian czarist regime that preceded it. Of course, you know, they both practised censorship, they both had bureaucracies, but nonetheless, there was uh, far more, I hesitate to say freedom of expression, but let's say opportunity to leak things out. And one of the things you, you see when you look at Britain or America or France or Germany, is that we, we have government secrecy, but it's very leaky. Very hard to keep a secret that a journalist really wants to find out, for example. And people leak all the time. Mm. People brief the press privately, off the record. Did you know about this? Did you know about that? They sell secrets all the time. I don't don't mean they necessarily sell them for cash, but they sell them for a favour. They sell them because they want to make a point in the press and so on. People leak confidential information all the time. And as often as not, they get away with it. Nowadays, now and then, there's a bit of a crackdown and some civil servant who leaves a laptop on a train gets punished. But the very fact that he's punished for it is headline news. Yeah. So uh, more often than not, secrets get out. Uh, it's normal. Whereas here we're looking at a system where huge efforts went into keeping secrets all the time and the quantity of secrets was immense. I have a colleague in Birmingham, uh, R.W. Davis. So when he did some research on this in the 30s, uh, I remember him making the following point. We knew all along that they published around 5,000 government decrees over 10 years because these decrees were collected up in bound volumes made available. We always assumed that there were some secret decrees but when we thought, well, if they published 5,000 then maybe there might be some hundreds of secret decrees. When they got into the archives, what they found was that there were 30,000 secret decrees published over the same period. And indeed of these 30,000, some 5,000, that is the same number that were published, some 5,000 decrees were so secret that only a handful of people knew about them. So this was a a government in which what was published was really the tip of the iceberg. The quantity of secrets is impressive, and also the degree of secrecy within the state. You know, I guess we used to, you know, I've been working on the Soviet Union for the best part of 40 years, so long before the Soviet Union collapsed. And uh, I think I I was used to thinking of the main secrecy barrier as being being between the state and society. The state knew things that they didn't want society or the West to find out. But now we see that the secrecy firewalls within the state were just as dense and thick and complex as the firewall between the state and society. Everybody had secrets that they kept from everybody else within the state. Uh, the uh, the labour camps, for example, didn't want the, f- the finance minister to know about uh, the situation in the labour camps. They just wanted the money to keep them going. They didn't want to, have to, they didn't want to tell anybody. Industry didn't want the army to know about uh, uh, the conditions in defence industry, and so on and so forth. Everybody was monopolising information and trying to extract something uh, from it as a result. I mean, the weirdness of this system, I think, is is uh, greater than we ever imagined. Well, you've touched on a few of them, but what sort of things did they keep secret? I mean, were they worth keeping secret? Well, I think one of the dilemmas of a system of secrecy is you can't, you can never afford only to have really important things that are secret, because if you release lots of trivial information and keep the big secrets, people can see the gaps. And one of the things they did was they had a very strong awareness that you have if you're going to practice secrecy, you've got to be thorough. Uh, they were very well aware that if you, for example, if you keep a lot of trivial things secret, it's confusing to the outside world because they can't really be sure what's important and what's not. Uh, another thing was they were always very concerned that if you things look, may look trivial in isolation, but you can put one trivial bit of information with, together with another and make more of it. Mm-hmm. than than the two pieces on their own and I, I I certainly i guess was always very well aware of this because that 's essentially how we used to write history before we could get into the archives that 's what we did we would It would be like diamond mining you know you 'd dig through a mountain of sludge you know the stuff they used to publish which was boring and repetitive and formulaic you know the the official histories uh, were dreadful to read, but you know you, you'd plow through for day after day and you 'd find one little piece of information you'd think oh that 's that's a bit unusual, that's a bit interesting, and, and you'd make a note of it. Days or weeks later, you'd find another. And you'd put these two things side by side, and you suddenly think, oh, that makes sense of something. And they knew this. Uh, I, I remember um, a bit of correspondence in the 30s. There was a row of the revelation of uh, information by different agencies. And the problem was this. One uh, ministry had published the figure for the total output of the engineering industry. Okay. Another agency had published the information of the civilian output of the engineering industry. Well, it doesn't take a genius to work out. You subtract one from the other, and what you have is a military output, which is supposed to be absolutely top secret. And they were horrified, and there was a big row about it, about, you know, the fact that you've got different agencies releasing different bits of information. And um, But, uh, you yeah, know, the interesting thing to me was that's exactly what we used to do. We used to look for those kinds of little bits of information that you know two things that you could put together and uh, and make something of so you know they were onto it and that's one reason that they wanted to make as much secret as they could so basically they would keep nearly everything secret Well, there was a sort of big cycle. Uh, The the 30s were much more secretive than the 20s. In the 20s, there was a mixed economy. They didn't quite know where they were going. There wasn't a well-established regime of... uh, There was certainly a dictatorship, but it wasn't a well-established regime of personal rule. Uh, By the 30s, Stalin had everything in hand and things became much more tighter and more organised. But they figured a war was coming... They were facing these sorts of problems, and through the 30s, there was a secrecy became tighter and tighter. Uh, from 1937 through, well, really for 20 years, they published almost nothing. And it wasn't until Stalin was dead, the war was over, Khrushchev was the new leader, and he was in favour of some degree of relaxation, uh, that uh, they started to to relax a bit. But you know, by the late 40s, and this is after World War II. Uh, in the late 40s, there was another little scandal, which was about um, nothing to do with military affairs. It was to do with revealing details of a new medical technique uh, that they thought had some commercial value. And Stalin became very upset, and there was uh, a new sort of round of secrecy legislation which created all sorts of problems because what it did was um, it, it created categories of people who were responsible for implementing this uh, these new secrecy controls who were not allowed to know about the legislation. And and so they had actually got to a point where uh, they couldn't implement secrecy because it was too secret. But after that, uh, and particularly after Stalin died, they began to relax a bit. Um, uh, They began to see some of the costs of secrecy. For example, uh, if you can't publish any data, then nobody's going to tell you what you're doing wrong. A society in which social scientists can't have data is a society in which uh, nobody can ever work out what's wrong, what's going wrong with society. They knew things weren't right and they started to let up a bit. And what was the effect of secrecy on the economic system? Well, uh, in the long run, I I think it was uh, really disastrous. And uh, in many ways, I think secrecy was much more of a burden than uh, military spending. There was no way, for example, that they could organise themselves to take advantage of things like uh, the internet. I mean, photocopying was a huge problem for them because if you give public access to a photocopier, you don't know what people are going to print. Uh, In the uh, 1960s and 70s, there was the spread of uh, so-called self-published literature, the Samizdat, which is what uh, dissidents used uh, to circulate uh, banned books and materials, and uh, what these guys had to do was they had to type things out by hand using carbon copies, this sort of thing. They They had no access to photocopying. And the reason was the state knew where every photocopier was, they knew who used it, they knew how many copies were made, and it was controlled that tightly. So the dissemination of information in the system was incredibly difficult. And one result was, uh, just to give one example, they kept on rediscovering the wheel. Uh, Because information didn't flow, they didn't know what was being invented, either in the West or in their own country, and they had a very high rate of repeat inventions. People... You know, putting resources into duplication because nobody knew where the technological frontier was. That's just a little example. But more generally, I, I think, you know, modern market economies thrive on information. They use it and they use it profitably. Uh, this was a system where, with huge amounts of information that was classified, most of it was a very poor quality, um, they did not know how to use it, they had no way of using it uh, because of all the controls on information.